Hi, I'm Suzanne. I am a videographer and photographer and I am here because this month is International Women's Day on the 8th of March. In keeping with this year's theme of hashtag choose to challenge, I've been working with nine brilliant women creating a photo series to represent different stereotypes that modern Australian women face. Alongside this photo series, we've recorded a conversation on each of these topics to help create a dialogue around them for International Women's Day. You're going to get one a day until the 9th of March, so stay tuned. Today's topic is hashtag choose to challenge Aboriginality. I have this conversation with Darug woman Kalinda, and if you want to see her beautiful photos, you can head over to my Instagram at suzanne.was.here. Get into the conversation. Hi, today we are talking about Aboriginality, and I have the wonderful... Hi, my name is Callie. I am a Darug woman from Western Sydney. Um, the Indigenous part of me is a huge part of who I am and I hopefully have some time to talk about that today. Yes, of course, of course. Um, thank you so, so much for coming and I'm really excited just from our little offline conversation that we had. I think it's going to be really interesting and I'm so excited to hear yeah. more of your stories. So um, I guess where I want to start as a non-Aboriginal woman is I would love to hear from you what you feel like specifically are the issues for Aboriginal women in a modern Australian world. Yeah, um, I guess thinking about um, going back to the way that my ancestors used to live, there's been such a change from these set traditional guidelines and jobs and things like that. Um, these days... Obviously, we don't have the ability or a lot of us don't have the ability to live the way that our ancestors used to. Mm. So I feel like there is a part of all of us that is sort of trying to get back to that. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's one of the issues that we're facing is obviously the, um, the threat to the way that we live, the way that we used to live um, in terms of being a woman um, I mean, every Aboriginal person with darker skin has the issue of police violence and things like that. But being a woman, um, I feel like there's more things that you need to look out for, not just cops, but like docs and things like that. Right. Yeah. There's so many stereotypes that come with being an Indigenous woman mm. that it's just a minefield to yeah, go right. through every day. So around, um this concept of people talking about the stolen generation as if it's a past thing. Mm. Yeah. Well, a great example of that, my grandmother, um, she, she was never taken from her family. So she grew up in the bush with her dad, her mum, and her three or four siblings. And when she was about five, her dad passed away. Mm -hmm. And then when she was about nine, eight or nine, her mum passed away. So from the age of about nine or ten onwards, she bounced around uh, in Parramatta. So she went to an aunt's house first, girls' homes, missions, things like that. So my nan was never forci forcibly taken from her parents, but she still lived that lifestyle of not having your parents, being taken away, and instead of getting to sort of live with family and uh, continue on the way that they were living. You know, they lived in the bush mm. in a little shack. Mm. Um, she was forced to then assimilate into the way that uh, the world wanted her to live. So, like, she went to her nan, uh, so her aunts, she lived there for a year or two. She ran away. She ended up in a mission um, and a girl's home in Parramatta. Um, 
before she sort of grew up and had my dad and um, uncle. And it was probably about three or four years ago that she started finding family members that she never knew existed. Right. Cousins, aunts, uncles, things like that, that... That should have been a point of call when they were looking where to place her as a child. Absolutely. But, you know, instead she got put into the system. Yeah. Um, A lot of people think that the the fallout of the stolen generation is over and done with, but the... Um, the reality is that there's so much intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. that's come from that. And loss of culture. Absolutely. It's not just stolen children, it's stolen culture. Because the way that Indigenous people, we don't write things down. Our history is told through song, through dance and through stories. Mm. It's mostly an oral thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so having lost that community and that sense of like um, tribal mob, mm. um, it made it so much harder I don't know a lot of my tribe's language. Mm. I know a little bit here and there. Yeah. Um, but that's things that were taken from us when the stolen generation and when those things happened. It wasn't just the taking of children from their families. It wasn't just white or trying to wipe out the race. Mm. It was absolutely taking everything that we had and getting rid of it. Yeah, yeah. And I think... It's, um, yeah, we're seeing the fallout of that. Now, particularly, I imagine, with the disconnect between generations in that if you are trying to reconnect with older generations, like you said, with the language, you no longer have a lot of these lines that are really important to be able yeah, to connect. absolutely. I mean, like, even my nan, she's got to be mid-70s and she doesn't know a lot about her culture mm. and about her ancestors and things like that my dad's a little bit the same I think growing up um he never told people he was aboriginal he told people he was greek or some kind of mediterranean because if he told people he was aboriginal he would have gotten bashed yeah which is a whole other level of messed up absolutely so um my nan was taken from that culture my dad never had the chance to learn about it Mm. um and therefore I never really had that chance either to have that passed down to me so you're having to actively go out and look for it now yeah yeah which is incredible though this is the thing I think like you were saying about your father a lot of Aboriginal um, people are ashamed of that side of them so they haven't seeked it out Mm -hmm. um like literally no not literally well I was about to say literally all but it's not literally most of the Aboriginal people that I know, it was something that I found out about them years into knowing them. And when I encouraged them to get involved in that side of their culture, they weren't interested. They mm-hmm. were embarrassed, which is awful. Absolutely awful. Um, and But that's because of what white Australia has taught them. Absolutely. Um, but getting into specifically for women then, um, and something that we discussed beforehand is that the history of Aboriginal culture actually sees men and women as equal. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, there, there are different roles from mm-hmm. what we were talking about. But yeah, yeah. women were um, in charge mostly of cooking and looking after the children, um, whereas the men's job was hunting. Um, women still gathered. Uh, that's what the Kulamons are for, so the they're like a half sort of shell I've brought one along today. <laughs> right. Um but, yeah, they would use those to gather berries and vegetables and um, things like that when the men were off hunting for the meat. Mm. So 
they were still like tasked with an important thing. It was still getting food for mm. the mob. Still but... equal respect. Exactly. Yeah. But it was just a little bit less strenuous. Yeah. It was more looking, finding, picking and um, detail work mm. because I think that they found that the men had a little bit more strength. It was easier for them to go and hunt mm. for the bigger animals and easier for the women to stay back at camp, look after the children and sort of do the more uh, detail-oriented things. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't like they were seen as lesser for doing those things. No. They were still appreciated and they were still... Um, acknowledged for doing those things it wasn't yeah. like you're a woman you're weaker you stay here yeah it was yeah it's this is the structure of our culture yeah. that works for us yeah. absolutely yeah and then enter white man and all of our crap that we bring along <laughs> and then this is changed entirely and the structure yeah. and the power dynamic and the equality that was once there, not only in Aboriginal culture, are you having to try to build that as a woman, but you're also dealing with the loss of the fact that your culture previously had it already. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, within mob and within family, um, I think it's a lot easier to be confident and comfortable as an Aboriginal woman. Mm. Um, but then in the world, there's, like you were saying, there's what the the white people bought, that sort of uh, segregation between the genders, the mm. fact that women are more um, suited to cooking and cleaning, which, I mean, you look at Indigenous cultures, it was the same, but it wasn't as looked down upon. Mm. Whereas um, once they started to try and assimilate um, the Indigenous people, they were having women do cooking and cleaning and things like that that were what they were doing before, but it was viewed as a lot more menial. Mm. It wasn't as, um, you know, uh, equalised within yeah. the society. Yeah. So the perceived value of um, Aboriginal people generally was reduced ridiculously, mm. but even more so as a woman that's right like you think about it and white people well in that time frame white men yes i know that you're not saying that we're (laughs) we're talking historically here and i yeah we'll get to the today (laughs) but in that time frame like the men saw women as fragile and weak Mm. indigenous men didn't see indigenous women as fragile and weak Mm, it was that um idea that was brought across and then sort of drilled into us. Yes, yeah. And then so then today, how do you see that dynamic? Like you were saying that you, it's easier to feel when you're within your own mob to feel comfortable and equal, but it's when you're outside of that. So do you feel like that's been maintained within Aboriginal culture? Yeah. I mean, like one of the biggest things that was um, that made me uncomfortable when I was younger was the fact that obviously I have lighter skin. Mm. Um and in primary school and in high school, a lot of people would say, oh, you're Aboriginal. You don't look Aboriginal. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, that's my favorite thing. But you know what? For people who don't, I mean, I've tried to explain because it's easier for me to have that conversation as a, like, privileged as a white person because people aren't going to get as confrontational about it to me. So I've tried to explain to as many people as possible why it's an issue to say that. Yeah. <laughs> but while you've got the mic... Why is it an issue to say that? Why is it an issue to tell someone they don't look Aboriginal? Because if we go back to when the white people first arrived in Australia, 
they their plan was to breed us out. Mm. They wanted to get rid of all Aboriginal people. Yeah. Um, so obviously the way they did that was they tried to breed us out. And by doing that, they diluted, diluted the blood within us. Yes. So... As an Indigenous person in the 21st century, um, it's not something that any self-respecting Indigenous person cares about. The phrase, um, it's still tea no matter how much milk is in it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I've heard that. Um, like, I went to school with people who were redhead and freckles and still identified as Indigenous. Yes. And, you know, it's not about the colour of your skin. It's about the way that you feel about your culture. Yes. And importantly, because the colour wasn't something that was given up by choice. It was something that was taken Taken away. from us. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I would love to be, I, you know, my whole childhood, I wished that I was darker so that people wouldn't say that to me. Mm. And I wished that I would fall in love with an Aboriginal man and have dark skinned babies because I didn't want my kids to have to go through mm. the same issues that I went through. Yeah. Um, but as I've gotten older, it's something that I've really worked on on myself yeah um because it would be hard having that identity split between how you feel and how you look on the outside absolutely um it was something that was so heavily influenced in my life from a young age mm. i went to nadoc every year with mm. my family and for a few years my sister and i actually um performed in mm. the smoking ceremony yeah. um so we would play the clapsticks and another guy would play the didgeridoo um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a huge part of who I am, yeah. um, that when someone looks at me and says, oh, you don't look Aboriginal, it's such an invalidating thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, yeah, you can't, in modern day, you can't look at someone and tell whether they're Absolutely. Aboriginal. Like, and that's, uh, you know, a term that we use in the, the black community is black, B-L-A-K, because I'm a black woman. Yeah. I don't have dark skin, but I'm a black woman. Yep, yep. So then as far as stereotypes, what kind of stereotypes do you encounter that for Aboriginal women? Um, I guess without trying to sound derogatory, a lot of people these days have two ideas of Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. It's either they live out in the bush and they're traditional or they're dull bludgers. <laughs> it's one or the other, really. Yep. Um, so I feel like when I meet people and I tell them I'm Indigenous, they immediately try to pigeonhole me into one of those yeah, Which things. of these do you fit into? And there's nothing in between. That's right. You're right. You either live in the desert in the outback mm. or you live in Mount Druitt and you just smoke cones all day, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's not it's, who I it's am. It's not realistic. I'm neither of those people. Mm. And Indigenous people don't have to be either of those people to be valid. Mm. Um... So, yeah, that's the biggest thing is trying to take yourself out of that pigeonhole. Just because I'm an Indigenous person doesn't mean that I'm any of the things you assume. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess um, something that we touched on um, earlier was about the assumptions that um, around education. Yeah. So I guess a lot of people just assume that Indigenous people aren't smart or that we don't have the capability to go to university. Um, the capability by means or by like intellect? Um, I guess a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would probably say more towards the, the intellect side is how people would see it. Right. I mean, think about it. We don't have the same opportunities that white people do and we never mm. will 
because the roots that we placed down for millions of or hundreds of thousands of years were torn up so that settlers could put their own roots down. Mm, yeah. Um, and we're still a step behind. We're still trying to catch up. Yeah. And it's crazy to think in 200 years what the settlers have achieved with those roots. Absolutely. Imagine where Aboriginal people would be if their much, much deeper roots had remained intact. It's yeah. awful to think that those have been removed. Not entirely, but largely. That's right. And I guess the biggest thing that we can do now is just keep trying to strengthen those roots and build them. Yeah. And um, bring our messages to as many people as possible. Yeah. Um, and, and on that, what's incredible to see, and like you talked about your father before, um, is the difference now with these new generations that have the ability to connect via the internet mm-hmm. to each other and learn about this culture and they're bringing it back, you know, because what a difficult job your elders have with their ho- the ones who are left and holding on to their culture and then this generation who is ashamed and embarrassed because of Western culture of who they are mm-hmm. and now this new generation that's coming in and changing this, which is so incredible to see. Yeah. I mean, there's so many great, like, fantastic content creators on the internet at the moment oh, yeah. that are spreading um, just great information for Indigenous culture. Yeah. Um, one of my absolute favourite creators at the moment is Meisa on TikTok. Okay. M-E-I-S-S-A. Okay. She is fantastic. She just, there's so much that I've learnt from her. Yeah. Um, and there's so much that I'm still learning. Yeah. Through these TikTok creators and just creators in general. Yeah. You don't have to be an academic that goes out and studies, um, you know, very traditional tribes mm-hmm. to be aware of this culture that now you have these, something as light as TikTok that's to right. learn and, and re-engage is, is brilliant. And that's what I think is the strongest, uh, the strongest part of how things have progressed mm. is that we have so many platforms and so many different types of platforms. You know, if you like long-form information, you can go to YouTube. If you like short-form information, you have TikTok or Instagram yeah. Reels. Yeah. There's so many different ways today um, for us to share our voice and our story yeah. that there's no excuse not to listen to us. Yeah, yeah. It's so exciting. It is. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So then I guess a very recent situation that specifically impacts um indigenous women is around the birthing trees Mm -hmm. so what maybe for if if, in case you missed it what um what how would you explain this issue the birthing trees so this is my biggest issue is that people as in white people are pulling science out to try and um discredit the claims right um so the biggest thing that i heard was that the trees technically could not be old enough to be what they were claimed to be. Um, scientists were saying that they had to have been planted after colonization because of the size of them or because of something that they had found. Mm-hmm. And honestly, regardless of what science says, in my eyes, that doesn't matter. It's about the culture and it's about respecting that culture. Mm. So it, it doesn't matter how long those trees were there. They are now a part of our culture. Mm. They're a part of, they have been a part of our culture for so many years, even if it was after colonization. That shouldn't mean anything. It's the fact that those trees 
was such a significant part of the culture mm-hmm. and they were such a significant part of that coming of age process of birthing. Mm. Um, and for someone who is not Indigenous to come in and pull some science out and say, actually, that's wrong, I feel like it's just insensitive. Well, it suggests that colonisation was the end of Aboriginal culture. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's not like, you know, the ships arrived and then immediately all Aboriginal culture stopped and it couldn't grow any further from there. It has stunted it significantly, as we've discussed offline. Absolutely. But I think it doesn't mean that it just stopped there. Yeah. um, Yeah, I think. But so these trees were being ripped up for a highway is the story. But from what I've gathered, there was no platform that was given um, to Aboriginal people, it was more that the stories started coming out and more people were hearing about it because of the social um, outcry That's that was exactly led from right. internet conversations. I mean, Twitter, things like that was where it really blew up. Mm. And that's where I remember seeing it. It was, there are a lot of Indigenous activists I follow on Twitter. Um, and, you know, we didn't have the chance to have a media voice Mm. um a voice in the media in terms of a newspaper or anything like that so we took to social media to that new power that we have to educate people and to tell them why it was an issue Mm -hmm. unfortunately didn't work in the end but you know it's just another example of how those roots that the colonizers put down have just eroded ours and disregarded absolutely yeah. yeah Well, then, so what do you find are your tactics for challenging these issues um, in your life or in people who are around you? The biggest thing is just using my voice, mm. whether that be uh, in, like, my day-to-day life, telling mm. the people in my life about these issues mm. or spreading information on social media. Mm. Um, I think the biggest thing that we can do is just educate people. Mm-hmm. It's there's no point coming in on the offense. Yeah. There's no point coming in yelling and angry because you know that we're angry. We have been for so many years. Yeah. Angry didn't work. That's right. Yeah. Anger did nothing. So now I think we've, we're finally starting to see that if we come to everyone with just like logic that hopefully we can, (laughs) hopefully that's the best bit. Yeah. Yeah. You should be allowed to get mad, honestly. And I know mad didn't work and it should have because it was valid. <laughs> it is valid still. I mean, the <laughs> world is progressing so fast. Mm. We can only hope that the generation that is so adamant that things should stay the way that they are slowly starts to fizzle out. And <laughs> yeah. a generation that is more inclusive and accepting starts to blossom forth. Mm, yeah, the new generation is full of hope yes. in that aspect. So then as far as what you would want to see in the community and people doing to challenge these issues for Aboriginal women, what would you want to see? I think the biggest thing that I can say is just to be um, receptive and open to our voices yeah um but all that we can do is just be more accepting yeah and be more understanding and just listen to indigenous voices Mm. because i think for so long we've listened to white voices and what they think is best for us 
Um, but it's time for people to start listening to our voices. Yeah. And I think um, this is something that we touched on with leadership as well. Just because a woman doesn't want to be a leader doesn't mean she's not a feminist. She doesn't Absolutely. have to do it for herself. And I think if as part of their cult, as part of your cultural structure, any Aboriginal woman wants to have that structure of a specific role for men and a specific role for women, then that's not unfeminist either. Absolutely like not. they shouldn't be forced into that no. for certain. But I think, yeah, there is this idea that what it is to be a good or a bad feminist and um, it's just a stick that women will be beat with either end. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we did touch on briefly before as well the fact that women aren't supposed to play didgeridoos. Mm. Um, and some people may think that that's sexist, that the law is that women are not to play didgeridoo. But looking at the cultural reasons for it, um, Dreamtime stories and beliefs led to the fact that if a woman was to play the didgeridoo, she'd become infertile. So it's not something that's like you're a woman, so you're not, uh, you're not, um, you know, qualified to play this instrument. It's we just want to keep you safe and protect you and make sure that mm. like you can carry along future um, children. Yeah, it's less about punishing and more about protection. Yeah, yeah, and and not protection from men and withholding this from you, but from all Aboriginal people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, of course now people probably don't necessarily think that you know playing a didgeridoo will make you infertile yeah but it is the again holding on to the culture that i mean so much of which has been destroyed and these parts are important Mm -hmm. yeah there's not really anything that makes uh an aboriginal woman's struggles different to a white woman's in terms of like being female. Yeah. Yeah. We still face all of the same issues. You yeah. Know? Um, but yeah, I think, I feel like the issues that we face are more, um, around culture and less around gender. Mm. Um, although when colonization came to Australia, women had so much more, um, equality with men in indigenous communities and they lost that. Yeah. They spent obviously, um, years, being the ones at home doing all of the work, mm. um, looking after the kids, cooking, cleaning while the husbands were out working. So I guess for a long time, our culture and our beliefs and the way that we lived was so challenged mm. um, that now it's, uh, I guess now these days we're more trying to get back to that point that we were. Mm. Yeah, for years there was value in that work. Yeah. And... Um, with the introduction of Western culture, now this thing that women for thousands of years were brilliant at and did incredibly and was, and it should, should of course be, I don't know why it's not of of a huge value. Yeah. Was completely devalued. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what, um, what prompted that, that loss of value for women was Western society Mm. because indigenous men, um, valued what their women did, mm. but uh, Western society didn't, and tried to unteach that. To exactly, there's men, yeah. all that gen- uh, intergenerational trauma. Mm. Um, and yeah, today we're still trying to, you know, Indigenous people are trying to get that foot forward to where 
um, white people are and the indigenous women are just trying to get those two further steps. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So how, how do you and your community, do you think, challenge um, the issues for women? Well, Indigenous women are uh, expect in their communities to be treated as equals. Mm-hmm. It's something that we have always had. Um, so I guess what we're challenging is typical uh, Western society mm-hmm. and that idea that what women do isn't valuable yeah. and isn't worth equal status. Yeah, the idea that women aren't equal doesn't play with Indigenous culture. Absolutely. Right, yeah. So all of Indigenous culture challenges, chooses to challenge. That's right. That's yeah. how we were always treated in our culture. Yeah. Um, so we're bringing it back yes. to Western culture. Yes, bring it back. We've got so much we can learn from you guys. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a topic that is kind of – the tradition has come up, the culture has come up a lot in a lot of the other topics in leadership and particularly in age as well because um, women are disregarded and discarded in – society as they age but Mm -hmm. aboriginal culture really values absolutely in indigenous culture uh, the way that we um that we tell our history and our culture is orally Mm. and the way to learn those stories is to be alive Mm. so elders are treated as wise Mm. and knowledgeable because they are that's exactly right yeah they're not thrown away just because they're a little bit older older and frail. (laughs) No, yeah. They're revered and they're loved and worshipped in a way for their knowledge. I think that's entirely accurate. Well, I love that. Thank you so much. I I can't thank you enough for coming and speaking with me. This has actually been wonderful. And yeah, we're gonna we're gonna bring it back. We're bringing the <laughs> empowerment back to white culture. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> the female empowerment. Yes. Yes. The equality. That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.